We're back. New sports order. Tom Corbett. The hamsters are running again in Sterling's basement. His Wi-Fi is up this week, and he is ready to go. We had the little. We had a week off last week because the uh, the main internet was not cooperating, but that's okay. Actually, actually Tom, I think we're just going to chalk it up to load management. I, I, there was a lot of lot of minutes on these legs. You know, it's a smart play. I mean, look at the Clippers. If they hadn't load managed all season, they wouldn't have got those two playoff games out of Kawhi Leonard. Well, it, he would have got hurt two games sooner. So, I mean, really, they, they're they're playing you know, three three dimensional chess now. So, yeah, thank God they just gave him a massive extension after he couldn't stay on the floor previously for the Clippers. It's a great idea. What a job! That's why they're the Clippers. But. It, the NBA. It's just you know you can see these things a mile away. It's like should you give them a super max? No, absolutely not. Don't do it. Don't do it. Don't do it. And they're like, well, we got to do it. It's like, well, it's why you're the Clippers. Oh, I'm trying not to be like still in a good spot, but last night was the first night where I got real pissed off in the NBA playoffs. That just sucked. Joe I mean, Mazzulla just, just got. Ugh. He has these moments, and you try to remember. Oh, first year coach, still young, but for the love of God, how can everybody else stop playing Marcus Smart over Derek White in crunch time of games? All year, Derek White has been the third best player on the team. He brought in Marcus Smart with like whatever it was three four minutes left, I think. Susie brought him in. Trey Young hits a three. Marcus throws it away. Trey Young hits another three. And the momentum completely shifts. Well, and the egregious foul, I mean, poked the ball away. And I mean, they called the foul on the dive to the floor where he half tackled him. And, and I, I've given Marcus Smart a lot of benefits of a lot of doubts because for years it was like, he, he's our guy. The officials hate him, but he plays hard and he's aggressive. And a lot of it was just off his reputation of being kind of physical, a little clumsy, but high energy. And Celtic fans, we, we've always defended Marcus. Wins Defensive Player of the Year last year. Yeah, that's our guy. God, it's just hard to defend it. it, it it's hard. He to, hasn't. He hasn't been good this year, and he hasn't. I love Marcus. It's been great. What nine years? I want to say, and I think he's probably beat up. I could see, you know. After the season, it comes out, oh, he's been dealing with nagging injuries. But you can't just keep trotting him out in the biggest moments based on, like, loyalty to past performance and, like, oh, I don't want to lose the locker room or I'm afraid of losing Marcus. Like, competing for a freaking NBA championship. That's the goal. If he's not happy, then so be it. We need to put out the best guys. And Derek White is better than Marcus Smart all year. Marcus can't stay with a Trey Young type this season. He's shown it. Derek White's been great carding Trey. Well, and, and, and that's the, the point right there, Tom, isn't it? That people act like you're sacrificing defense by playing Derek White, that he is just this 
you know, absolute sieve that, you know, it was going to get dominated by a Trey Young or by, you know, any point guard. And he can't stay in front of anybody. He's fine. Yeah. I mean, he he's actually really good. As, yeah. I don't look at him as a major liability and he's a knockdown shooter. He's a scorer going back to Missoula and, and, and part of my issue with it was they got so freaking conservative up 13 with six minutes left. And I think the Marcus smart decision is indicative of that because he looked at it and said, you know what? I'm going to put the defensive guy in here. And as long as they don't score 14 points, we'll win this game. Not thinking we should probably try to score another 10 just in case. Yeah. So that way we make it a little tougher. He's thinking we're going to grind this down with Marcus smart. The problem with that is that you also then have Marcus smart controlling the ball and running the offense. And so Atlanta makes this back. run going small, but we're still going with Horford and Williams at the same time. Like they're going small. Great. You know, keep one in move Tatum to the four. That way you could have a Marcus in and still have Derek white or Malcolm Brogdon. It's hard because I like having Horford in there in big moments because I feel like he's going to yeah, hit a big shot. Yeah. You know, if you need, I love Horford at the five when they play Al small. So do I. One of the things that that kind of drove me crazy, and, and I like Robert Williams. He obviously had a, a huge game four and has been, you know, the Celtics have been good. You, you, they look like a different team when he's on the court. Um, but God, they just kept looking for, and it, it almost worked out. It, I was almost a complete idiot for this when they threw sort of that lob off of the jump ball at midcourt and Tatum threw kind of the semi-lob, semi, you know, I mean, just dunked it off a pass wide open to, I think, what, put him up two or put him up one with uh, 30 seconds left. I think it's to put him up one with 30 seconds left. Um, how many times did they try to throw up, like, weird lobs to Rob Williams? It was like three times in the final four minutes, and it was like, wait, there was no play there. There was no design there. It was, I think Tatum did one, and I think Brown had another where they just sort of like half shot, half lobbed it. Williams really wasn't in position or, or really looking for a, a pass there, and it didn't work. And they just end up being like these ugly looking turnovers. So, yeah, they, they got away from what they did, and it, that's an embarrassing loss. Yeah. That's, and we hit one of those 3 1 at home, you got to put teams away. And we hit one of those stretches where Tatum goes into it's all threes or layups. He completely kind of goes away from a mid-range game at all, which I think just kind of ebbs and flows with Tatum. But, yeah, you need to close that out. And now you have Embiid, who was, whatever, Doc Rivers said 50-50 on being able to play in game and one. And I'm sure there's that's just gamesmanship. Like, Embiid was going to play in game one no matter when it was. Sure. But now you've given him two extra days. To sit and rest. They close it down yesterday. Game one is Saturday. And now you're pushing it another couple days. Giving Embiid more time. It was just, ah. One of the more frustrating losses. Now you go back to Atlanta where you just got a split. And you you had to work hard for, for the split in game four. So now in your head you're going, are we really going to have to come back to Boston for a game seven with the Atlanta Hawks? Yeah, you know, with a team that sweeps are hard. So you think, okay, five games. 
Gentleman's sweep. Five, 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 gentleman's sweep. Five games is fine. You know, like no no skin off your nose. Now, there are times, I mean, uh, as I recall, the, the 2008 Boston Celtics, you know, they ended up going seven games with Atlanta. everybody. <laughs> they went with Atlanta. You and I were at game five yep. of that series where the Celtics took a 3-2 lead. And I think they – So good. They – they won all four home games, lost all three road games, and then I believe the same. following series with the with the Cavs was exactly the same. And then the stunner was that they beat Detroit in Game Six of the Eastern Finals that year, and that was the first time. I think it was the first road game they won that postseason. It was also the first one that didn't go seven because if they had lost that, they would have gone back to Boston. And it's a goal for the Florida Panthers. They're up two to one right before the second intermission. Damn it. So, as always, we're recording, well, not always, but most of the time, we are recording on Wednesday night. So, if you're recording or listening this day it comes out, it is Thursday. So, yeah, Bruins are playing currently and trailing. They're in their own game five. Yep. Trying to close it out. At home. Uh, the Red Sox win today? Nope. Nope. You're back out. Ugh. They have gone almost two weeks of win-loss, 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 win-loss. The the stat I saw today is through 10 games, the Red Sox were 5-5. Five and five. Through 20 games, they were 10-10. and 10. Now, through 26 games, they are 13-13. and 13. I think that is highly indicative of where they will end up. I think they will be... 81 and 81 this year. It's very possible. I, I had to yeah. look it up yesterday. I'm like, God, I feel like this is, and I looked, and I think they might have had one two-game winning streak. But other than that, it was win one, lose one, win one, lose one, win one. Just well, not, not just that. It, it, it's get swept in a series, sweep a series. Get swept in a series, sweep a series. So it's really, it, it is, as you said, it ebbs and flows, but it, they, they, at least they're taking it three games at a time. <laughs> You know, very rare is the we took two out of three from Baltimore to open the season, and now they took two out of three from us. This is where this team is, and this uh, I was talking to my dad earlier, and he's like, "This is they are just what they are." He goes, "I'm afraid this is all they're going to be." I'm like, "Yeah, this is exactly what they are. Yeah, yep. they're going to split with the Baltimore's. They shouldn't really compete seriously with the teams like the Yankees and Houston, uh, and, and they won't." But they'll they'll play with the you know they're they're a middle of the pack team. That's just but but that's what the expectation is. That you really can't look at this team and go, oh yeah, ninety five wins, pencil it in. That would be wildly optimistic. And then you're just wildly. hoping hoping that in the distance, you know, this big name's going to come. And I can't help but every now and again I'll look up like oh, latest Otani predictions and the red Sox sure. aren't even on the list they will and so i think it was jared carabas has dubbed them the kings of interest they're the interest kings because we always hear after a big name signs that someone from the red Sox will say yeah i mean you know we were we were in on you know insert free agent here it's like oh were you really did you offer him Five years and 126 million when he ended up signing for 310. Yeah, so th- that that's my worry is that they are going to they're they're going to be in on Otani. They're going to be a dark horse to get Otani, 
And then when he signs 600 million, like everyone is saying, and has been for probably eight months, the Red Sox would be surprised that when their their offer of 325 million yeah. wasn't even in the stratosphere. Yeah. We offered Jalen Brown the mid-level exception. He knew we were interested. I know he got the Supermax, but... You know, we, we, we tried to uh, offer Xander a contract, but he just wasn't having uh, five years at 125. He just he just didn't want it. Oh, he signed for what? I feel like that's that, that's the way it'll be. And, and God, it's like they're the Boston Red Sox for, for crying out loud. Like, Spend like it. Or just sell the team already. Half the people think they're, you know, cutting all these contracts because they're trying to make it look as profitable as possible for a sale. One, if you look at the price and what teams in all professional sports are going for, I don't think you need to do (laughs) that, especially when you're the Boston freaking Red Sox. Not only that, when you own Nesson, I mean... Uh, I'll remember Seth Mnookin's book, Feeding the Monster, uh, because it goes deep into the sale of the Red Sox to the current ownership group uh, back in 2002. And that's where I learned that I, I think the total sum that they purchased the team for was like $850 million. But the team was like 350 to $400 million. Nesson was worth every bit of what the team was. Which I get, TV contracts, exclusive yeah. rights. You also, I mean, obviously you have Nesson, means you get the Bruins and and you know, X, Y, and Z. But when they decided that they were going to buy lock, stock, and barrel the whole thing, it ended up being $800, $850 million. But Nesson was half of that. you know. So if they sell the whole thing, I mean, what has that matured to now in the last 21 years? God. What? If, Phoenix, Was- if the Washington the Commanders Phoenix Suns just went billion, for $4 billion. Well, Washington Commanders just went for six, and now that's the NFL, so there's probably a little bit more. But, I mean, the Red Sox have to be one of the three most valuable franchises in Major League Baseball. They'd be behind the Yankees, and then behind the Dodgers. the Dodgers are ahead of them. Probably Dodgers at this point. would be right there. Um, and there's probably them and the Mets. Yeah. Maybe the Cubs, you know, and the Cubs would probably be, you know, somewhere around there, but yeah, it would have to be the Red Sox right there. Fenway Park and Ness and all that. So yeah, I mean, what, what could they get? And you're right. (laughs) Does it matter? Or would it be a more profitable sale if you were to sell the Boston Red Sox? And oh, by the way, they have Shohei Otani. I understand having some flexibility, let's say. And not be locked into a 12-year, $600 million pact with Shohei Otani. Or does someone want to buy the team? It's like, oh, by the way, your team has this modern-day Babe Ruth character. All of them? Like, oh, just some, yeah, your team has a generational outfielder in Mookie Betts. Great shortstop, Xander Bogarts. Making a run at Shohei. <laughs> Given, like... I know that there's limits. You're not going to have Mookie, Xander, and Shohei, but. No, but, you know, it's like you, you look at the Red Sox lineup. You just take what they had out there today. They're paying Rafael Devers. They're paying Yoshida. Who else in that lineup are they paying? 
Verdugo's not a big money guy. Turner has an acceptable deal. Short money. It's not long term. I mean, other otherwise, who are you paying? I mean, your lineup is Reese McGuire. Kike's making, what, 10? If that. Christian Arroyo's making nothing. Tristan Cassis is a rookie. We're probably still, we're just playing old players that don't play for us anymore. I mean, Sale is really the only one in the rotation. You know, Paxton's you know making a legitimate salary. Kluber's making a legitimate salary for you know one year. Pavetta, not really. I, there's just so many names. You're like, okay, so the the highest paid players on the team are Sale, Devers, Trevor Story, who's out for the season. So you look at that, and you go, they're not paying anybody, but also they're paying the wrong people. You know, the sale deal at the time, we said, okay, let's just hope you know, he stays healthy. If he's healthy, this is probably a you know, good extension. He hasn't been healthy really at any point during the extension outside of you know, big parts of 2018. Uh, but the extension came after that. It, it, it's hard. You know, Devers, I don't think the Red Sox will ever live to regret the contract. Yeah. But Story, I mean, Story was a debacle from the moment they signed it. I mean, you saw that coming. You you can't overpay Rafael Devers or Mookie Betts. You just can't. When they're if a player's that good, and that's why Shohei will get six hundred million dollars, is because he's worth six hundred million dollars. It's like no matter what the Lakers have paid LeBron or any of the other dozen and a half teams he's played for, they couldn't overpay LeBron. Yeah, because of what because of what he brings in for revenue for the team, production for the team, and everything he produces. You can't overpay them. You overpay the Pablo Sandoval's and Hanley Ramirez's and Trevor Stories of the world. That's what kills you. Yeah, say even if okay, whatever six hundred million for Otani. How much do you make in jerseys and jersey shirts in the first freaking month alone? They're selling English and Japanese printed Angels Shohei Otani jerseys in the New York Yankees team store. <laughs> I mean, I, I saw the picture and I thought it was Photoshopped, but it was a real store. I saw it everywhere after the angels played there a couple weeks ago. Oh, it, it, it's ungodly Tom. And I'm big on how are you kind of marketing the franchise? Because we know that the current Red Sox ownership is all about, selling it as a TV property to the fans. And I understand that it's 162 games. You've got to get people excited. So when you have you know, the graphic on the screen, what player are you displaying? When you have commercials, who are they showing? When ESPN has your Sunday night game of the week, who are they saying? You know, I, I used to love it when they would do the open on Sunday night baseball with that music. And John Miller would, you know, get very dramatic and go, the Boston Red Sox are swinging a great bat led by, you know, and then they would insert, you know, AL MVP, move on. And the Boston Red Sox come into New York for a three-game set with a New York Yankee. You know, who are, are they putting on the marquee? Right now it's Rafael Devers, and then it's just crickets. Are you, know, you I ready? I Yoshida on a lot, and I get, you know, you, you should. You, you should highlight Yoshida. He's you know, made a name for himself in the World Baseball Classic and, and has some potential. Otherwise, I mean, there's not a lot to sell. Are you ready to admit that Verdugo is having a good season so far yet? He is having a good season. Um, I would like to see him have a good season. I would like to see him you know, be an all-star. 
I would also like to see him hit double digit home runs this year. I <laughs> we've seen stretches like this from Verdugo, especially at the beginning of the season. Uh, we talk a lot about guys having slow starts and bad Aprils and bad Mays and picking it up. You know, once the weather gets warmer, Verdugo is an excellent cold weather player or something because he's always. It seems like he hits about three thirty every April into May, and then his average kind of trails off and he settles about what two eighty five. The power is kind of here and there. Not a lot of this, not not enough of that. But yeah, I, I'm interested to see if he can keep it up for a full season. Can is he really a 325 hitter for a full major league season? Yeah, but, hope so. You know, they they need him to be. Yeah, they, they need several guys to step up and put those seasons together. They need Cassis to have a positive season. They need Yoshida to play to expectation. They need Verdugo to take a leap. Because everyone playing status quo to what they are, I mean, it's probably not a 75-win team. Yeah. I mean, Yoshida's starting to pick it back up a little bit. He's back over, like, 275. Obviously, the hot name right now is Jaron Duran. He's There's another one that would be could really change the complexion of this team if he can be your everyday center fielder and become this you know, Jacoby Ellsbury type that, you know, has some power. Obviously the, the speed has never been a question, but could he be your leadoff hitting center fielder, which would give you some flexibility to move Kike around and not lock him into you know one position every day. Maybe lock him into the bench. How about that? That, 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 that may be an idea. That, that may be an idea as much as, I mean, never forget 2021 Kike. He was ungodly in that postseason, but. It's just, it's so humorous just to see, and hey, Kike was great, you know, a couple years ago, I get it, but just to see, like, how, how much of a light beer he is compared to, like, Mookie Betts and how it's, all of a sudden, Mookie's playing a little shortstop because they needed to, and Kike's playing shortstop, it's like, oh, we just have the light version (laughs) Well, it, it, yeah, I, I like that the the light beer version. I think that's I think that's pretty apt in this case, but but a good moniker in general. The you and I debated via text a couple of weeks ago. You said, you know, how are you going to win with an with an infield that's this bad offensively? I said, oh, I don't think the the infield is nearly as bad as the outfield. At that point, you know, Duran was in the minors, so he hadn't had this little you know burst that he's had. Yeah, but when your outfield is is Verdugo, Kike, and Yoshida who at that point, if you added up their batting averages, I don't think they were hitting 500 with very little power production. When you're infield, well, at least you have Devers. The other three positions weren't doing anything. The catching position sort of works as a platoon, but it also feels like Core is going to have to push the exact right buttons every day as to who should play, and that probably goes above the whole like left-right, left-right thing. But yeah, I mean, Devers is your offense, the outfield, even with, you know, we'll see what Yoshida develops into. I'm somewhat optimistic. I, I like the home run he hit today. That was a flick of the wrist on a ball down. He took it out to center field. I mean, that ball looked like something that I didn't think would get to the warning track and it exited Camden yards in center field. So he's got some pop in his bat, even though he, his, his swing kind of looks like my golf swing. 
there's a lot of times I don't really finish it. I just kind of finish like with a club up by my forehead. I don't really give a good turn. That's yeah. sort of Yoshida, but it's got some pop. All right, we should probably talk uh, some football. I was not. Can we ex- talk something happy? Can we talk one happy thing tonight, Tom? We are. I don't know. Less than twenty four hours from the NFL draft. That one time when we get to be optimistic and happy and dream of, you know, wild things happening for positives for our franchises, and we've just spent the last thirty two minutes belaboring a stinker of a Celtics playoff loss and the current state of the Boston Red Sox. Let's get into it and have fun, Tom. Well, I don't know about that because I'm just <laughs> getting ready for tomorrow night watching Bijan Robinson go to the freaking Eagles as they get, you know, the third best player in the draft. God, I don't know if they do that. You know, the, someone, a lot of talk, obviously, about Bijan Robinson going to, to the Eagles at 10. But at the same time, I mean, they have like five running backs on the roster. Uh, someone do pointed they? out pretty aptly that. Yeah, they still have a few. Someone was reading the – they have Gainwell and Boston Scott, and there's someone else that they signed to. I think they still have a rookie that they drafted. Like, oh, they have Trey Sermon. Um, I can't remember if there's one other that they've added to the roster too. So they have like four guys. They're not really a bell cow, but you know they, they didn't replace Miles Sanders when he left. But at the same time, you know, they look at Howie Roseman's drafts, and besides you know taking wide receivers early – the Eagles kind of go, you know, like edge rushers, and you know, that, that seems to be sort of their bread and butter early in the draft. So uh, we'll see. I, I'm not sold, but, but John Robinson, kind of indicative of the draft overall. I have no idea where he's going to go. Um, I don't know as if I could see him going two or three, but I think really anywhere out of the top four, he could go absolutely anywhere. I could also see. God, I don't know how many teams I could see trading up to take him. I could see a lot of teams swinging a draft day trade to move up to, you know, like seven to just grab him. Before see, the in my mind, I'm like, okay, teams know. they won't take him, and then we'll somehow get freaking Derrick Henry in a trade or something. <laughs> yeah, I could. Something about that uh, that Tennessee to Philadelphia pipeline right now just like sends them A.J. Brown, and then a year later sends them Derrick Henry. God. So who who do you so Tom? What, what the Cowboys are picking at what twenty five twenty six? They are twenty six. Okay, so who who is your your draft crush for them at that spot? I'm going to give you two names, and or you can try to you can take the field and and extrapolate on that. Mm-hmm. Is is it the aforementioned Bijan Robinson that you hope? Because I've seen him linked to Dallas as well, being a Texas guy. Um, I don't think he would there. fall that far. I, th- what I, I think it's possible if he went there, but I don't see a world in which Bijan falls that far, and I okay. don't see the Cowboys yeah. trading up at all. To get the other him. one, I, I see this one as as very likely because of the comps that I've seen to Jason Witten is Michael Mayer from Notre Dame. That's the one like that that strikes me as the the Tom Corbett seal of approval guy. Yeah, I mean. He's the one that's been heavily linked. They obviously need kind of a replacement for Dalton Schultz, who, you know, turned down some decent money and ended up on a one year with the Texans. Hey. Prove, so bizarre. Prove yourself deal, I guess, uh, with whoever will be quarterback there. I think that's – I could definitely see that. 
being the case. There's some others around there that are supposed to be around there. A Brian Branch. You can never really have enough DBs. And from everything I've read, you know, a pretty a pretty good tight end crop. So I feel like if they missed out on Mayer, if someone took him earlier, or if someone else fell that they really liked, I think they could still get a tight end later. But, hey, a nice target like Michael Mayer, I'd be happy with that. Well, and I think that is going to be one of the storylines of this draft because there are originally they were projecting three tight ends in the first round uh kincaid musgrave uh mayor and uh, darnell washington from from georgia they were kind of projecting in the top you know 25 or so and, and really all different orders i mean dalton kincaid you know people say is probably they, they compare him the most to, to travis kelsey they say he's the best tight end prospect in this draft now they've kind of backed off. Washington has gone from being, you know, like a late teens, early twenties pick to, I mean, they're saying it could be mid to late second round. And as I look at the New England Patriots, and I wrote about it this week, as, as my official draft crushes Darnell Washington from Georgia, because I think the Patriots could conceivably get him at forty six, because I don't know what's going to happen. Because one of the things that you hear all the evaluators talk about in this draft class is that tight end is deep. You can get a good tight end like you know Sam Laporta from Iowa or Musgrave, you know late second, maybe even the third round. So I wonder where. I hope this is one of those situations where the Patriots quote unquote reach for someone. You know if they were to trade back, because I think the Patriots at fourteen will trade back to, you know, like say twenty four to Jacksonville. Interesting. Or and I want to ask you about this, not to cut you Go off, because I have heard different podcasts, a lot of people saying, you know. Maybe the Kraft Belichick is not the most peaceful relationship it's been over the years. And, you know, they've disagreed on a few picks over recent years that a lot of people think this could be the year where Belichick and them just say, no, we're getting after it. We're not trading back. That they could even trade up if they see something. it's possible. I'm not sure where. Uh, okay. In terms of trading up, I'm not sure what they would trade up to get unless in Levi. You know, it's not a, it, well, cause it's not a great tackle draft. It's not one where, you know, there's a marquee receiver. Um, you know, there's Smith and Jigba, Zay, Zay flowers. It, it's funny. That with so many of the impact positions, there's kind of a top two, top three, and they're sort of default number ones at each one. Will Levis? Uh, you know, I think, well, it, it, right, and there's there's the wild card overall. But you know, when you talk about receivers, you, Smith and Jigba has kind of been tabbed as the default number one. Was a Flowers number two, Quentin Johnson three. You know, Jordan Addison was viewed as probably a top twelve pick, and now they're saying he's you know late first round. We know though with the receivers, there will end up being a run. You know, Smith and Jigba will end up going you know, in the top 10 and then another team that wants a receiver will trade up and end up taking Zay flowers in the top 14 or 15. And uh, we'll, we'll see four go in the first round. Most likely it's the same with the tackle position. So it's not like they're going to, they being the New England Patriots uh, trade up to go grab a tackle that fell to seven or fell to eight because four quarterbacks went in the top five or something. So 
I'm not sure who that target would be. I think it was way more likely that the Patriots do stick and pick at 14. They've but spent... I think that we may see sort sort of like last year when they you know they perceivably reached for Cole Strange, who you know, everyone had him mocked out that they could get him in the third round, uh, and instead they used their first round pick number 29 on him. I think there's a chance that if they can't trade out, they'll just pick at 14, but they're going to take whoever they would have taken. You know, and that could be, you know, Darnell Washington, lack of a better, you know, uh, it's the first name that that sprung to mind, or someone who's maybe got an early second round grade, but they don't think is going to be there at 46. Because the word is everyone wants to trade out of the mid-teens. So there's only going to be one or two teams that actually make that deal if they can. So yeah, they, they may be stuck at 14, but I don't expect the Patriots to then, well, we're here, we're going to take someone you know, that doesn't necessarily fit just because, well, we have to pick here instead. They'll they'll take whoever they were going to take if it was 29 or, or 14. They've spent a lot of time with Flowers. It, a lot of time a name that, that, that's been out there because he went to Boston College that, I mean, his name has been out there and, and tied to the Patriots for a while now. And, and he could make a ton of sense. You know, because he can play kind of inside outside as a, a slot uh, outside receiver, good hands, fast, go up and get the ball a little bit, slightly undersized, so that makes him feel like more of a Patriots pick. Uh, I could certainly see Zay Flowers in in New England. Meanwhile, since the last time we talked a couple weeks ago, it seems like a lot of people have gotten under the hood, figuratively speaking of C.J. Stroud and have not necessarily liked what they've seen. It seems like we've settled in now to Bryce Young being the guy at number one, which is another amazing, the fact that, once again, Carolina traded all this stuff to get to number one without knowing who they were going to take, just is just baffling to me. It's like they traded for a gift card. They were just like, we just want the option to pick whatever we want. Yeah. When when, when we get there. Same with the 49ers. Everyone. A couple of years ago. Yeah. Did the exact same thing. And now there's reports. Oh, they're just really trying to see if maybe they could get a number one. One first rounder. To move on from Trey Lance. Which they're not going to get. Because if you have a guy in Shanahan who most consider... Maybe one of the best offensive minds of this current era, and he's saying, "Yeah, I can't make it work with this guy." No one's giving up the first round pick then to go get him. But well, at least there's a, at least there's a little bit of mystery with Trey Lance. I, I heard an interview uh, with Todd McShay this morning where someone said, "Yeah, now that Rodgers is in New York, if the Jets wanted to trade Zach Wilson, what would they get for him?" And McShay said which this is Zach Wilson, number two overall pick two years ago, they said the Jets might be able to get a five. Because if you're looking Sounds at Trey right. Lance, who who played sparingly in his rookie season and then got hurt in, what, week two of his second season where he was going to be the starter, yeah, well, like what can you get for that? Now, Zach Wilson has proven himself to be a completely incompetent NFL quarterback. It was kind of the old saying of, you know, is it better to have people perceive you foolish or open your mouth and remove all doubt? Well, Zach Wilson has removed all doubt unquestionably, but, but Trey Lance may have just uh, kept his mouth shut so far. We don't know. So is that worth a one? Certainly not. I mean, we, you and I talked about this, not to bring up the Josh Rosen discussion, but it seems like we keep coming back to this notion of 
you can cut ties with a top five pick or a quarterback in the top 10 within a year. doesn't matter anymore. You don't have to give him a quote unquote fair shake and an extended look or, you know, decide on that fifth year option anymore. Now, Daniel Jones just kind of showed you, maybe you do, maybe you do wait on that and, and give a guy an extended look and, you know, the circumstances on a, on a top pick going to a bad team isn't the best representation. But we're seeing more and more of these teams are going, yeah, we got to we gotta cut bait. This, this isn't the guy. Yeah. So it seems like they're going to go Bryce Young, who is arguably the slightest quarterback who's a top five pick in perhaps NFL history. Not what, just height. Four pounds? <laughs> Not just height. Yeah, just he's lean. He's a lean guy. Tons of talent. The big question mark is whether or not he can hold up. Stroud doesn't, or at least most are saying, may not be a number two. That Houston might be leading more defense. Will Anderson. And then see if maybe someone drops to them at 12. Like a Will Levis, maybe. Anthony Richardson, perhaps. And roll the dice there, which I don't hate for the Texans. If you don't think that there's a quarterback willing, or not willing isn't the right word, but worthy of being the number two overall pick, then you just draft the best player available. Whether that's, well, I think the wild, I think the wild card in all of it is because uh, I'm of the mind that four quarterbacks are going to go in the top. Eight picks. I like. I don't think any of of those top four are going to be there when they pick at twelve. The wild card in the whole scenario is Hendon Hooker, and it's a name that we're hearing floated around a lot today. That there may be a team that grabs him mid to early first round. That there's belief that Houston likes Hendon Hooker, who also word came out today. The belief is that he's going to be ready for Week One after tearing his ACL last December. So that'd be like a nine-month-ish turnaround. So not inconceivable, but a rookie quarterback to start with. I mean, maybe it does make sense for a Houston where you have, okay, you got Davis Mills. Um, he can start out, let Hooker you know, get some experience, get, get his feet under him, and then hope that he's you know a dynamic player. And plus you would get you know a draft haul of, of Will Anderson and Hendon Hooker. Okay, you can probably sell that to your fan base. But I don't know if they do that at 12. But, yeah, his name is uh, being mentioned a lot higher up draft boards than it has been for the last, you know, two months of this process. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not all in on the Hendon Hooker revelation that's come sure. that just keeps gearing up. I mean, he's what? He's going to be 26 years old. Whew. By the time he starts his first NFL game, which I mean, hey, Joe Burrow was a little older. There's that's his journey. That's the journey that he happened to have. But outside of that, also, really kind of only had he had the two good seasons. Okay, at Tennessee, give him that. Okay, but you know. Not great at Virginia Tech, per se. Wasn't necessarily the guy. 
had some decent runs, but was also playing in a system is really the RG3 Baylor system. Yeah. Which is just not necessarily an NFL system. It's, kind of, it's essentially a running gun, and I think that's what boils down to some of this. Is It's part of the issue with C.J. Stroud is, you know, it, with him it kind of boils down to this, you know, test that they gave him that he got, what, a 7 out of a possible score of 100 or something um, of teams kind of devaluing some of these quarterbacks that, okay, like what were they producing under? You know, you look at Richardson, kind of a freewheeler in, in that Florida system, but how is that going to play in the NFL? And I think that's the problem with there are red flags, I think, with all of these quarterbacks. Yeah, I like like with Richardson, you would think, oh, he's this big scrambler trying to make stuff happen. Taking He actually he took very few sacks. Pretty good pocket presence, mm-hmm. just struggles with some accuracy. So if you think, oh, we can work with him, we can make those strides, I could see a Seattle thinking, ooh, that could be a guy. Give him a year. They can get out from Geno, I think, in, after like a season or two from what they just gave him. But, you know, Stroud just kind of lacks the razzle-dazzle. There's no, there's no thing that he does where you say, oh, that's his thing. He's incredibly accurate, but also when you're throwing to perhaps the greatest receiving core in college football exactly. history, you know, Marvin Harrison Jr. can make anybody look accurate. Well, I mean, you think about this. Two years ago, he was throwing to Garrett Wilson, Chris Olave, Jackson Smith and Jigba, and Marvin Harrison Jr. Yeah, now this past year, and, and I think not to get caught up in one game, but I mean, he absolutely torched the Georgia defense and almost beat them in the national semifinal. Like that's the game. CJ Stroud isn't in the conversation for the number one pick without that game. And I think it's kind of the memory of that is starting to wear off a little bit and teams are going, okay, we'll look at the full body of work. We'll look at his full makeup. Cause you're right. There isn't like that one thing, but he put enough on tape in that one game that everyone's like, okay, so we've seen like what he could do. Like we've seen what this potential could be with CJ Stroud. But then again, as you said, he's never going to have a receiving core like that in the NFL. No, no one is going to have a receiving core like that at the NFL level. You're lucky to have, you know, two great receivers. If you're Joe Burrow, you're lucky to have Jamar Chase and T Higgins, but you're not going to have four or five deep like he had in, in Columbus. Yeah. So I think that there's your your sort of red flag there. Bryce Young, it's his size. Will Levis, it's I mean, what the hell happened this year? Anthony Richardson, it's he's a little bit raw. Hendon Hooker is the injury and kind of playing in a, a running shoot offense. Uh, th- there's just something on everyone. Yeah, I think very talented quarterback group. Like there's a lot of talent there, but there's not one you know. Lawrence, one luck, any of those guys that I think are take it to the bank, the darkest of blue chips. Well, I don't even think it's like it was two years ago when you had, you know, different flavors, but it's all ice cream. You know, you don't have 
well, you know, do you like Mac Jones? Do you like Trey Lance? Do you like Justin Fields? And you have Trevor Lawrence at the top, but you had all these different talents that, I mean, you know, you want a scrambling quarterback who's an incredible athlete, take Justin Fields. You want the kid who studies hard and put up incredible numbers at the college level and, you know, it has been quote unquote a winner, take Mac Jones. You know, you want the unproven, uh, you know, pure passer, uh, Trey Lance might be your guy. Like you had different things and the red flags were just sort of like, well, I know how athletic Mac Jones is, but all of them were sort of not even red flags. They were kind of yellow flags of like, there's got to be some negatives to these guys. This one, I just don't think is that great of a quarterback class. Like we'll look back in a few years and go, yeah, there, there were some careers there, but I don't know how many Super Bowl winning quarterbacks are going to come out of the 2023 draft class. Yeah, I think it's a, uh, as it kind of is, I think, outside of some of those transitional names that you mentioned. Yeah, it's always a bit of a poop shoot. To see. No, and, and it completely is. And you know what? I think we say this every year, but this year I think it really rings true is that this should be a really, really fun draft from a viewership perspective. Because we think Bryce Young is going number one. Now there's this weird phenomenon that's happening in Vegas that suddenly Will Levis's odds on going number one, not even number two, it started at number two, and then suddenly the Will Levis uh, draft pick bets were taken off the board at Vegas casinos earlier today because suddenly the odds dropped to like 10 to one for him to go number one overall. It was like the second best odds to go number one. So we think Bryce Young's going number one, but I mean, it, it isn't a year where some years, I mean, the, you know, they've essentially signed by like Tuesday. We don't even know number one, let alone number two, three, four, five. Bijan Robinson could go anywhere from fifth overall to 25. You know, the top corners could go anywhere from top 10 to, you know, mid first round. It, it really is. It's all over the board. We don't know what teams are going to do. I think it's a night that typically I like looking at Twitter during the NFL draft, but except this year, I don't want the pick spoiled. I don't want to know ahead of time because I think it's going to be great theater to see who goes where. And I, I want to wait for the announcement. Yeah, I think it'll be, it'll be fun. And I think there's a lot of teams that I look forward to watching just to see almost like a train crack. <laughs> what are they going to do this time? Nope. Houston at number two is a real, a real variable there. You know, the commanders who just declined the fifth year option on Chase Young. Yeah, I mean, what that? I thought that was the you know a a Miles Garrett you know type of player when he he came out of college, rookie it of the was, year. Yeah, I mean, had slam dunk. Not only all was kinds of year. I mean, he looked like one of the best defensive players in football that first season. Yeah, and then you know had his injury issues, tore the knee, some other stuff coming when he came back that prolonged it, and more or less saying, "Hey, let's see how he comes back from his injuries. See if this motivates." I think I heard Ron Rivera a quote of something. Oh, we'll see. Maybe declining the fifth year. See if it motivates him. Wow. You guys are, you just don't do well with speaking in a way that doesn't just continue to hammer home. Like 
the NFL doesn't care about players. <laughs> He's been hurt well, for a year and a half. Let's see how he comes back. Yeah, and you know what? He may, but the problem is, is that now you've just pretty much given him free agency a year early, and yes, yeah. he's going to take that motivation. He's like, oh, we could franchise tag him next year. I'm like, it, okay. It, it, it cost you yourself another $6 million than if you just pick, or more than that, seven, almost $8 million more to franchise tag him next year than if they just picked up fifth year. Like, why not just... Okay, this guy was the number two overall pick, rookie of the year. Why wouldn't you just say, let's roll the dice on a fifth-year option? Well, and, and for a team that hasn't had great success in drafting talent, especially at the tops of drafts, you know, there, there aren't a lot of memorable picks for the Washington franchise where you go, oh, yeah, remember when they took you know X in the top five? Not a lot of names just jump to mind as, as star players. He could have been. You're right. I mean, you kind of want to wait and see, but uh, yeah, I don't know. I feel like this one might might come back to bite him, and they end up. You're right. They end up franchise tagging him, or he goes to market a year early, or they work out some sort of extension if he ends up playing well. But I mean, he's going to test the market. He's going to get a boatload of money if he if he does play up to it. I've um, seen uh... Tom, who you, you you mentioned teams who from an entertainment standpoint where they make picks, you're like, Oh my God, that, that is the most, you, you almost get coming with some of these franchises. Who are the teams that you look forward to? Like when they're on the clock, you go, Oh, we're going to see like something's going to happen here. We don't expect, but you also sort of expect it from that team where they could have a layup of, you know, Quentin Nelson could be on the board and they could have a porous offensive line and they'll still take, you know, the third best wide receiver on the board. For a long time, it's been the Lions. Lions yeah. have been one of those, but they've been pretty good over recent years. I've seen them attached to the aforementioned Dalton Kincaid as to add another weapon to that Makes offense. Replace, replace Hawkinson. Yep. Uh, ooh, Arizona can be fun. The Falcons. <laughs> The Raiders, you never know what's going to go on with the Raiders. The, the Raiders, though, is almost like, I mean, remember the Cleveland Farrell pick? I mean, what was he, like number four overall? And everyone's looking at that going, well, I mean, I guess they just really they had three, I think they had three number ones that year, and they took Cleveland Farrell number four, which, I mean, there was a lot of talent right behind him. Like, well, I, I, he just really wowed him on, on the visit, but he's a solid enough player, and he, he has not been. It has not worked out there. Yeah, I think the Colts could be interesting. They might have C.J. Stroud now just fall to four for them. Though I, f I could very much see Arizona trading out of number three for someone to slide up and take Stroud or Will Levis. I think Arizona could... I could... Most likely to trade down out of the top 10, I would say, is Arizona. Yeah, I, I think that's the one because they're really one of the teams at the top that conceivably don't really need a quarterback or wouldn't guarantee and need a lot of a other things. Exactly. They, they could use the capital. I'm just not sure. And this is again, this is the theater of it is that we don't know who's willing to trade up, you know, who's going to jump up because I think there's teams that believe that if they want Will Levis at, you know, say the Colts want Will Levis at four, that he's going to be there. 
or that they might have the option of him or Stroud. I don't know how that would happen, but again, someone could leapfrog all of them if they don't move up there. Or, you know, we see a situation like when the, the Bears jumped up to take Mitch Trubisky at number two. They just had to have him, had to have him all to them, themselves. We could see a, a similar situation with, you know, the Colts could jump up to, to number two or number three just to make sure that they got their guy. So uh, the, the Falcons are one that I just put zero. I, I'm never excited by what the Falcons do. Like, I think the last first round pick the Falcons made that I went, wow, that's a great one. It was like probably Michael Vick. There really isn't a, a, a single Falcon pick. I mean, Matt Ryan, maybe and that was a good one. But at the same time, it wasn't like, there you go. There's your starter for the, you know, there's an MVP. He's going to be a starter for 15 years. I'm also looking forward to the Packers because, I mean, it's widely known, have not taken a receiver in round one since Javon Walker in 2002. And all reports are now that Rodgers is gone, they're going to spend a first-round pick on probably Jackson out of Ohio State to God, give Jordan Love sweet. a target. It would be sweet if they did that and then, like, traded back up and took, like, Dalton Kincaid or something or, you know, <laughs> they grab a tight end, they grab a wide receiver – they're the team that grabs Bijan Robinson at 13. <laughs> they use the pick that they get in the swap for Rodgers, and they take Bijan Robinson at 13. <laughs> I, yes, Tom, I, I now just want this to happen. I want them to trade up, just give a bounty of picks, and take three offensive players in the first round. All skill guys. No, no, yeah. no linemen. Uh, I want a wide receiver. I want the trifecta. Wide receiver, running back, tight end. Did the Jets blunder that deal? At first, I was like, oh, not bad. And then I had time to actually kind of think about it. I'm like, you had, in theory, all the leverage. All of it. But you're the guy at the poker table who's like, yeah, two aces. All right. I'm all in. And everyone's like, yeah, we're out. We're folded. <laughs> like, all they had to do, literally, all they had to do was pretend to have interest in Lamar Jackson. When they were bickering back and forth about the compensation, like, Rogers, like, Jets are nobody. Packers can't keep them on the roster for what they're paying. All of this stuff, all they had to do was just take a meeting. Whether you find that, you know, business moral, whether, you know, it's take a meeting. I mean, yeah. like, who, who's to say you can't do that? Yeah, I mean, you take a meeting I mean, with Lamar, whether you intend to or not, and make Green Bay sweat just a little bit. Instead, you're like, no, he's our guy. We're going to go out and get Lazard before we have the deal done. For Aaron Rodgers, we're going to be practically selling Aaron Rodgers Jets jerseys, even though the deal's not done. And I feel like they panicked and said, we got to get this done. We got to get this done. We'll give them the one. We'll give them the extra first round pick. Well, and that's the, the thing. So when I heard of the deal, I said, okay, so they trade up, you know, they, they flip flop, which the irony was definitely not lost on me that, you know, the 
what, what did I, I made a Steve Miller reference that the Patriots are stuck in the middle. And that's before the trade even happened. I wrote this last Friday, um, released on Monday, ironically enough, that the Patriots, you know, the place you want to be is in the middle. And I, I made the uh, Steve Miller reference that with clowns to the left, the Jets picking at 13 and jokers to the right, the Packers at, at 15, the Patriots were literally stuck in the middle of the NFL draft at the 14th pick. Now those two teams have flip-flopped. The irony is not lost on me that now the Packers could take someone or the Patriots could also at 14 take someone right in front of the Jets. And that was always my worry. When the team in your division picks in front of you in the draft, that they're going to take a star player one pick in front of you. Or I think the paranoia goes the other way that the Jets then pass on someone, Patriots pick them one slot later, and they go on to torture that franchise for the next 15 years. Yes, now it's, with it's, this trade, oh, it's delicious. It is just delicious that the Jets are now picking behind the Patriots, and the Patriots could grab, you know, whoever. It could be Dalton Kincaid. It could be, you know, Jackson Smith and Jigba. I mean, who who knows who it is? But yeah, the, the, there's there's some irony there. If if Bijan Robinson goes to the Packers and then the Patriots take a stud who tortures the Jets, yeah, this this won't look uh, too great for them. Hey, they got Rodgers in the building with his Jets hoodie. Well, I don't know if I've ever seen Aaron Rodgers in a hoodie before, but he had his Jets hoodie ready. He was also smiling a whole lot. He hasn't done that in mm. in quite a while. But but breaking down the, the compensation, swapping the picks is one thing. Okay, you move up two. They get a second-round pick this year. There's the other pick swap. But, yeah, the conditional first-round pick, that is a second-round pick, unless Aaron Rodgers plays 65% of the snaps, which you have to imagine he's going to. Yeah, it's more or less, hey, unless he tears his knee in week three, this is a first-round pick. It becomes the number one pick. We just saw this movie, Tom. We just saw this with the Denver Broncos. We just saw this with the Rams, that just because you make this deal and you think, oh, we're just going to go win Super Bowls, and we're going to pick at the bottom of the first round. So what does it matter if we're trading the – 31st pick or the you know 61st pick these could be that could be a top 10 pick next year for all we know rogers could play the season they could go 500 they could miss the postseason and they could have just traded they could have just thrown in the 12th pick in next year's draft for all we know it could be top 10 for all we know i mean really it's on the table and if not it's a number two pick Man, Seahawks picking number five. <laughs> That's an interesting. One. They're they're a fascinating team in this draft because I think if I look at a spot for a team to take a, a project like Anthony Richardson from Florida, I, that just seems like a perfect landing spot to me to take an athletic quarterback. You have Geno Smith under contract for a few years. You can develop Richardson underneath him, yeah, you know, with someone who you hope can help develop him. Um, yeah, that, that that's an intriguing one. That is one where you go, okay, uh, I think there are certain spots that if Richardson goes, might not be the best situation for him. Seattle could be a good one. Yeah. Like I said, I'm going to keep an eye on the Lions. I feel like the NFC, for the most part, is completely wide open at the moment. I think the Eagles have the most talent in the NFC. Then I think Cowboys and Niners are probably in the next two spots. I think the Lions could be the fourth best team going in 
in the NFC. Rodgers is out of the division. You saw a little six. You finished out the year strong. Coulda, woulda, shoulda. Came very close to the playoffs. I think with a couple smart moves. I mean, Jared Goff wasn't bad last year. He was decent. No. no. I mean, and that's also one that you could look at developing a quarterback too because Goff's deal, I think, is up after this season. Yeah, so that's one that it's up either this year or next year. But that's one if he go, you know, do you get the next quarterback and waiting underneath him? You know, is that a team that would look at a Hendon Hooker or an Anthony Richardson, someone to develop down the road? Even well, look, Will Levis. I mean, I don't think he's a slam dunk to start, you know, the season as a starting quarterback in the NFL. So th- there are several that you could talk yourself into. Okay, maybe maybe there is a progression plan in place. And several teams, so where I feel like at the end of the draft, you could say, "Huh, maybe they should have talked to Lamar Jackson." Well, and that hangs over all this, doesn't it? That okay, um, the potential of even a Trey Lance trade. But I mean, does something happen with Lamar Jackson during this draft? You know, do do we get something? I I think if it does, it happens at like three o'clock tomorrow. Mm. I don't think it happens during round number one. But, I mean, how many times do you watch the draft and suddenly there's, you know, rumors that people are being talked to? We saw it, uh, what was it, well, last year with the A.J. Brown trade and the Debo Samuel rumors and, and all these guys on the move and, and requesting trades. I think it'll make things interesting. Don't necessarily think it happens, but I don't know. There, there could be there could be indications. What, what are those memes you see everywhere of people saying, if I won the lottery, I wouldn't tell anyone, but there would be clues. And you know and they have the, the Magic Kingdom you know in their backyard or something. Yeah, it may not be a trade tomorrow, but there could be a team that's like, oh wait, why did they just trade that to them? Unless there's another shoe to drop. Yeah, because I think teams are going to wait now at this point till after the draft. I could see you know you're watching and maybe someone. Wow, that's interesting that they went with you know a receiver there. A team like maybe Atlanta or something. Like, sure. whoa, why did they spend on a weapon when right. why did they they're take so what, far I away? Mean, oh, you know, because they want to go canary. get them after the draft, so they have this year's draft picks and then just spend future picks to get Lamar, potentially. Well, and, and, and maybe that canary in the coal mine is B. John Robinson. You know, maybe it's a team that you look at and say, oh, you know, there's a team that has some weapons, but, wow, they just – spent big on Bijan Robinson early in this draft. Maybe they're, you know, maybe they're loading up to make a run. I don't know. It, it's, it's interesting because every, everything means everything, but nothing means anything. Cause everyone is just lying. It's the lying season where every day, every article you see, there's some kind of agenda, you know, the Hendon hooker is going to be ready for the season. It's like, okay, who's floating that out there besides his agent. Time will tell Pearl. What a great time to be alive. NFL draft time. We will be back next week. Who knows? Maybe we'll have to do like a weekend pod if something crazy happens in the draft. We will, uh, we'll be ready if called upon, if needed. Otherwise, we get to break it all down next week. Check out Sterling's columns, Uncommon Media VT on all the socials. UncommonMediaVT at gmail.com. If you want us to shoot us an email, 
Or you want to sponsor the show? Sponsor the show. Yeah. Why wouldn't you want to sponsor the show? We got some great deals. We over-deliver for our sponsors on our podcasts. So give us a shout, whether it's this pod, tie in with the No Fouls pod or the Uncommon Deeds pod. Do all three. We'll work something out that works for you. Shoot us an email, uncommonmediavt at gmail.com. Otherwise, we're back next week talking uh, results of the NFL draft and hopefully the Celtics up to an early series lead on the Philadelphia 76ers. 